if you're thinking of going out on your own or working from somebody, I mean, you know, you quit your job and went out on, on a limb to do this. It's like, just do it. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. All right, all right, all right. It's episode 101. Today, we're going to hear the story about a gentleman who's gone from a blue-collar background to a company founder. Our guest this week is Brennan Duggar. He's the president and founder of Blue Collar Automation, an outfit that specializes in industrial automation, controls integration, and robotics. Now, Brennan and I recently met at A3's Automate conference when the robot at his booth served me a beer. Obviously, he was a perfect fit for manufacturing happy hour. Now, after we first met, I knew he had more to share, so I invited him on the show, and now, today, here are the three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll get to know Brennan, his history as a controls engineer, and why he ultimately created Blue Collar Automation. Second, we'll dive into collaborative robotics. This is an area Blue Collar Automation has specialized in, and I was interested to learn why, in addition to hearing some of his past projects and his predictions for the industry. There's no doubt that this episode definitely has a robot-centric kick to it, so you'll hear us using some of the lingo of that space, as well as shout-outs to companies like UR, Universal Robotics, and Mir, Mobile Industrial Robots. Anyway, the third thing you can expect from this episode is we'll talk about what Brennan has learned since creating Blue Collar Automation. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and some of the great advice he's received along the way. There's a lot of good stuff towards the end of this conversation, so you'll definitely want to stick around for this one. If you want to access any of the resources we mention in this episode, you can do that over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 101. And if you want to join a community of like-minded leaders similar to Brennan, myself, well, hey, consider joining the Manufacturing Happy Hour community on LinkedIn. That's where the group lives. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to our private LinkedIn group. Make sure to send me a message so I know where you heard about this through the podcast, and I will let you right in. Again, the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. With that, I think it's time to get rolling. It's time to take a trip down to Memphis, Tennessee to meet up with Brennan Duggar. All right, I love these afternoon sessions because we actually get to crack a proper beer. I agree. Now, uh, you're drinking the champagne of beers over there, I I see. Yeah, man. Nothing but the best here in Tennessee. I've got plenty of that in my fridge as well. Not uh, not a bad beverage. I've got a, a German import on my end. You know, it's it's the uh, it's the poor man's Corona, in my opinion. I think with a lime, this yeah. beer is just like a Corona, and I get a lot of crap from it about it from my friends. But I'm a fan. It's uh, I, I tell people you're not really a fan of beer unless you appreciate Miller High Life and Bush Light. Yeah, so. I agree. Well, cheers. Good to have you on the show and a great looking blue collar automation glass as well. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Got a couple left over from the show. (laughs) Yes. And and speaking of which, maybe we'll start there. You and I met because you had a very manufacturing happy hour-esque booth, I should say, 
at Automate in June 2022. You had a robot that was serving beer. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so we had uh, we had two robots. One was serving the beer for the most part. The other one was uh, stacking cups and, and we we're letting people program. So yeah, we partnered with Olus Robotics for this booth. Um, you know, we provided the robots and, and they were showing off their remote technology that we use on pretty much all of our robot applications. But we thought, uh, you know, what will make us stand out that's simple. And we realized every show that we go to and attend versus present was beer. We all walk around looking for beer. And so we just thought that if we brought beer and were able to create these conversations, it kind of took away the awkwardness of like, hey, look what we do. It was like, hey, you want to have a beer? And then they have a beer and they stand there and they drink and they talk and we just BS back and forth and maybe it goes somewhere, maybe it doesn't, you know? Classic trade show strategy. I mean, I heard about it even before I had visited. I'm like, oh, there's a robot serving beer. I have to check this out. And then I ran into you at that point and found out we had some mutual history working with Rockwell. And and we're going to talk about your career in a second, but I've got to ask you, you're a Memphis guy. So if we were having these beers together in person in Memphis, where might we be doing that? Yeah, had I pre-planned a little better, I uh, I thought we had some in the fridge, but uh, it would it would <laughs> most definitely be Wiseacre. Um, you know, shout out to to Wiseacre in Memphis. They're uh, they're an award-winning brewery that has a great outdoor atmosphere and indoor. You can bring your dogs, um, but they have a bunch of really good beers, and and it's not often you go to a brewery and you like every single beer there. So that's my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. The The other time I've interviewed a guy from Memphis, Aaron Prather from FedEx, he also yep. said, hey, we'd be at Wiseacre doing it. So it is uh, I think it's the first brewery we've given two shout outs to on this show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good when, when you're in downtown Denver and they have uh, Wiseacre Tiny Bomb on tap and the master brewer says it's the best beer he's ever had. So he keeps it in stock. You know, it's got to be a good brewery. That's no joke. Well, hey, I want to get to know you a little bit before we talk about blue collar automation. So I've got to ask you about your career. You've been around the block as a controls engineer. You've worked for JR Automation, Rockwell, big names under your belt. You've been with materials handling companies. Why'd you pick this as a career path? Well, it kind of all started. um, It started as an intern um, with my dad. You know, he's He's been in industrial maintenance his entire life. He's worked at the same factory in our hometown for 42 years back in Indiana. So I grew up working there. I grew up, you know, doing all the hard stuff they didn't want to do that they conned me into doing for dirt cheap labor. And uh, my love for manufacturing started with him. You know, we flipped houses as kids. We built everything ourselves. We never paid anyone to do any work at our house. So my dad is kind of the through and through blue collar person. person that you'll probably you could ever meet really and so working there got me involved in anything you can possibly imagine you know they had material handling they had process they had kind of everything so it all it all started with uh 10 or 12 year old me doing stuff for for money under the table (laughs) (laughs) so you've got manufacturing in your blood then in that case why'd you make the jump to create blue collar automation. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I had worked a bunch of jobs, like you mentioned, you know, I I worked at a process company uh, in downtown Indy. I then went to JR and then Rockwell and then MHS. But um, the biggest thing that made me make the jump was, uh, you know, I, I kept leaving jobs and I wasn't sure if it was because I was bored or I was working too much or I just wanted something new. Um, I was pretty good at interviewing, so I like 
Um, I liked the process, unfortunately, like for some reason. Mm-hmm. But um, I made the jump because JR was kind of the pinnacle of jobs for me. It was, I have a really, like, I can't sit still. I can't not be doing something all the time. And JR was the only job where, like, I actually was, was worn out from it. And so it felt really fulfilling. And uh, when, when Rockwell offered me the position back home, I was homesick. I was kind of ready to make the move. And I thought, well, Rockwell, this is going to be, you know, the craziest job you could get, right? Well, it uh, it was a really good job, but it was, you know, I only worked with Rockwell products. And I, sh- I should have known that going into it. But um, once I, I left Rockwell to, to move to Memphis and work for Material Handling Systems uh, doing package sorters, I just knew that something was missing and uh, I wanted to work with robotics and there was no companies in uh, Memphis at all that really did robotics other than distributors. They do like very little like light integration work. Um, I saw the, saw the need and I really wanted to do it and uh, I always wanted to own my own business. So I figured, you know what, let's make the jump. So I got a, I got a job at a local factory thinking I could just do this on the side and open my own shop and, it took off way faster than I had anticipated. So I unfortunately left the factory job and here we are. Great story. I'm going to ask you about robotics here in a second. Cause I mean, that's definitely what pops out in your business. But the first thing I have to say is of all the names you could pick, why go with blue collar automation? Yeah, no, uh, it's a, it's, it's a similar backstory to my dad. You know, he, uh, my parents gave us everything they could growing up, no matter how little mo- little money that they had. And my dad was always a blue collar worker. Like I said, electrician millwright. Um, he did plumbing um, after hours from his dad's plumbing company that went under 20 years ago. But we still have a machine. So he did everything he could to make a good living to provide for, you know, me and my sister. Um and so I thought that, you know, I was going to come up with a company name and, and I have a whole list of company names on my computer that were just so boring and cookie cutter <laughs> and just, I didn't want it to be playing. Cause I'm like, if I'm going to start a company, I want, I want people to hire me. I don't want them to hire the fact that I know how to program a Fanuc robot or a UR or a Casso or whatever it may be. I want them to, to like, and want to work with me. And so I thought, you know what, it's my dad's fault that I'm in this from, from, <laughs> from lying to me and working me to death as an electrician uh, when I dropped out of college. And I thought, you know what, I better pay my homage to him. And uh, we came up with Blue Collar and I just thought, you know, it's a story that sticks. And it's the only reason I'm doing this is because of him. Like <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be in controls engineering if it wasn't for him. So sure, um, I decided to name the company after him so that we could kind of share that story along the way. I think it's a great name. I was just surprised because your company started in September 2021. I'm like, how has this name not been used before? It seems right? so <laughs> iconic and memorable. So kudos to you on snagging that relatively late in the, I guess, if you look at the timeline of automation, relatively late in the automation game. It's been yeah. there for a while. So great name. Now, the thing I'm really excited to ask you about is if I'm looking at blue collar automation, right? You really specialize in collaborative robots. You do industrial robots as well, but collaborative robots are front and center of your business. Why collaborative robots? Yeah. The reason, the reason we wanted to go that route was, um, you know, industrial robots have been around for a long time and we do every industrial robot that are, that's on the market. You know, we've touched every single brand, but the one thing that sticks out is that the, the ROI of a collaborative robot the amount of time that I can get a collaborative robot up and running to replace uh, to replace jobs that are very low skill that are hard to keep filled, 
Um, I mean, I, we have customers that have had ROI in two months on a collaborative robot application because in my last job in Memphis, the workforce is not very great as far as like turnover. And so you have a lot of really, it's super hot in the South, ton of humidity. So at my last job, we had these positions you can never keep filled, right? Where they're taking cans and putting them in boxes or they're taking, they're taking just doing mundane tasks that people will just quit after a week. And so I had pitched this to upper management a few times and uh, they haven't pulled the trigger yet, but um, I just saw this need. I'm like, I could automate this and it would run for three shifts and then we could train these people to be robot technicians rather than just, you know, moving things. And so that's kind of why we went that route because the Mm -hmm. ease, the ease it was as easy as it was to implement, it was as equally easy to teach end users how to upkeep these things. So like they don't need me. I don't, I don't nickel and dime people on adding uh, new models or touching up points. You know, we slap an Olus connect on that thing. Um, and I can remote in on my couch with three different camera angles and I can control the whole robot from my computer. So if for some reason they can't figure it out after the training that I teach them before I leave, um, I mean, we can be online in 30 minutes with Olus and, and get it back up and running. So for me, it was like, I'm saving my customers money and I'm deploying these things a lot faster to help with, with this workload. Because when you run through 25 temp workers in a week, like you did at my last job in a super hot environment, um, you know, that adds up, you got to do interviewing and you got to do onboarding training. You got to teach them on the floor, production slower. So I just saw them like, you know, an industrial robot can do this, but how, but for the money and the time, like I can, I can throw a collaborative robot on a cart, teach a couple tool frames and you're off and running. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, there's, there's some, let's say big themes that are, that are regular here on manufacturing happy hour, right? The fact that you talked about, Hey, it creates better jobs, right? They become robot technicians exactly. rather than doing the mundane tasks. That's, I think that's something that a lot of our audience is very, very familiar with, right? The fact that robotics create better jobs, but I don't know if anyone's mentioned the like the two month ROI that you were talking about and the ability to remote in, right? Those yeah. are other benefits that uh, that I know exist, right? But I haven't heard is explicitly associated with collaborative robots up to this point. Yeah, yeah, and it may just be because they're they're not dangerous, right? So like it's tough to remote into an industrial robot that moves two thousand millimeters per second, and you could kill somebody, right? Whereas you have a collaborative robot that's moving far slower, so you're able to do these things without being afraid of hurting someone. But when you have mm-hmm. cameras too, it, do, it doesn't matter. And so that's where I see the real benefit is like just the ease of use. Like you said, it's, and, and when, when you see an ROI that fast, I mean, you got to think we're in the highest paid workforce that there's ever been. Inflation is an all time high. Everybody wants more money. So when you have three people, you're paying $25 an hour, three shifts a day for six days a week, maybe seven, I mean, you're talking a lot of money with overtime benefits. And, uh, and the reason I said that we teach these people is because we're not taking jobs. We're just getting rid of no skill jobs to create jobs for the future. Because you and I both know everything is going to be automated. There's going to be robots on everything eventually. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I have to ask what, what are the common applications you're seeing in collaborative robotics as well? What are the the main applications that maybe you've worked on or the ones you're seeing out there? Yeah, it kind of depends because collaborative robots have gotten a really, uh, poor representation. Um, 
You know, it depends because as soon as you put something dangerous on the end of arm tool, it's no longer collaborative. So you should not use a collaborative robot. But where we're really seeing the benefit and where I'm really helping my customers are like machine tending applications, uh, press break applications. Um, we're doing a lot of like injection mold type stuff where you're, you're either putting raw material in or taking finished product out or it just kind of a whole array, but anything that's, that's in the realm of like machine tending or uh, part deburring or, or finishing processes, all these processes, even painting applications. Now, if you can paint slow enough, like we're looking at a couple applications in, in automotive where we're painting things with a robot because the beauty is I write a modular program that I say, Hey, Chris, if you want to teach this, you know, here's the part teach here, here, you know, teach these points and it'll go. So it's like, those are the applications where you normally would have someone doing it or someone drilling holes, like we're putting a Dremel, which makes it not collaborative, but we put scanners on to make it half collaborative. Um, But a lot of these just repetitive tasks of either putting raw material in, taking out and putting it somewhere. That's where we're really seeing the benefit. What's been one of the more memorable projects? You, you named a lot of applications, but I'm curious if there's one that sticks out, whether it's the tech or whether it was something else that made it memorable. I'd say the cool, I mean, the most memorable is definitely the JR project I did that had like 15 robots, 15 massive robots overhead. But I'd say the coolest one that will really stick out to me that I love talking about, and this was an application where it was using collaborative robots, but it was not collaborative. So mm. It was it was it was kind of where we learned like uh, oh this makes it not collaborative right um, was we took uh, we took some some UR five E's and we we mounted uh, uh, framing nail guns on them and we would uh, you know okay. typically we were putting together a, a small wooden part and it you know it was like a almost like a picture frame and so before they were hiring a contractor and they were paying them like three grand a month to nail this board together right and so we were able to create an application to where the operator just loads the parts in closes the door and hits go and these robots would come down and they would bump fire nails all the way around so nice that was probably like the most memorable project i've done just because it was so cool to watch like you know there's nail guns on the end of a robot when when do you see something like that yeah, we we definitely have a how it's made element to this show. The downside of a podcast is you can't actually see that application in action, but I think people can visualize that pretty yeah. well. Last question before I kind of ask you a bit more about blue collar. I should say last question around like general robotics. Like what's next for the robotic space? What's uh, in the world according to Brennan? I think I think what's next is, you know, we've we've worked on a couple of projects where we're automating forklifts. Um, and doing AMRs. And I think what's next is the introduction, which is already happening, but uh, I think collaborative robots on AMRs and, and automating things uh, fully are going to be the next, the next big thing. Like we're adding, you know, we're, we're a mere robot integrator. So we, we push mere robots for anything that we can get rid of a forklift. You know, we've, pro- we've quoted a couple projects where like, you know, they talk about their forklift operator turnover and, we're able to present them a solution that, you know, with with six mirror robots and if you have them programmed adequately, you can get rid of 10 or 12 forklifts because 
they're they're doing things efficiently and they're running all the time Mm -hmm. and so you see places like tesla amazon fedex you know all these places you see all over the internet are, are adding crazy robotics and automation and more and more and more i'm having customers ask about automating you know moving material um and so the the types of things that are coming out on amrs are making technology crazy like boston dynamics um uh, having their stretch robot is essentially mm-hmm. a, a custom mirror robot with an arm that's unloading trucks and putting yeah. them on a conveyor behind them. Right. Like typically the Fe- FedEx or Amazon are paying two or three people to load these gravity conveyors. Now they have this robot that's, that's using vision to do all that. And so I just, I see all these, these, uh, these tasks like that being automated. I think that's the next wave, which is why we're focusing so hard on the collaborative space because mm-hmm. we're trying to do more of that because, you know, industrial robots are going to do what industrial robots do, but the, the collaborative and the AMRs and the LGVs, those are really where you can get creative and, and provide solutions that wouldn't necessarily be easily seen. Yeah. I've certainly started seeing more like you were talking about collaborative robots on top of AMRs. So I'm excited for the direction things are going as we get to the latter half of our interview, our conversation, I want to ask you, you've been doing blue collar automation for about a year now, getting close there, September, 2021. How has the transition been? It's been good. Um, it's, it's honestly, it was kind of, uh, I didn't realize how much time that you spend quoting and talking about applications versus actually doing the work because, there is like, you know, you look at a company like JR, right? And you have these massive projects. Whereas a controls engineer, you know, you're in on the on the ground floor, like helping, you know, pick components and telling people, hey, this won't work. Hey, this might work. Hey, let's use this. But you're for the most part just doing engineering work, right? You don't realize like the months of negotiating designs and ideas and process and things that go on in the background. So that's been the biggest shock for me was trying to manage all this and hire the right people to help me recently. So um, it's, it's been good. It's been cool to have control of my own, like my own time. Granted, you know, you probably know this, you probably spend all your free time working on this podcast. (laughs) It's like, I spent all my free time, like trying to catch up on quoting and making Mm -hmm. sure my ducks in a row and my project management and like, Thank God the project manager I just hired is is helping me get all of that together because I'm a mess yeah. when it comes to doing I treat it like an engineer, right? Like I have it in pieces. Sure. He, he puts the whole piece together. So that's probably the biggest the biggest problem is the 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 lack of engineering work versus the amount of business work. Yeah, you 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 nailed it, right? I'm spending way too many hours after hours working on the production, sending it to my production team that does a, you know, yeah. does a wonderful job on the show, but there's still a lot of organization you need to do and yes, uh, I've always said if I needed to have a co-founder, they would absolutely need to be an operations project manager type of person, right? Cuz I'm definitely more the creative. I execute, but I could use someone to help keep me in line a little bit right? as well. <laughs> no, I, I, I just had a conversation with a friend in Michigan who we started these, we started our companies together at the same time. Shout out to Tim over at Hayden Automation. Um, we do all, he does all my mechanical work, but we talked about this, like we started separate companies, right? And he does most of my mechanical stuff for me. And uh, we were just talking on the phone yesterday. I'm like, man, I wish you would just move to Tennessee and we could do this together because then we could split half this stuff up. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, hey, it's good to be self-aware of your strengths, your weaknesses, the things you like, the things you don't like as much. It sounds like we both have a, a bit of a pulse on that for for ourselves. Oh, yeah. So you, you, you kind of mentioned it, right? Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you the biggest challenge uh, in year one as well as what you enjoyed the most. You highlighted a couple of those, but are there any, th- like, what, uh, any other pros and cons to how it's been going that you can think of? Oh yeah. I love the support that I've gotten from the automation community and just all Mm. the people who, who have given me advice. Like, you know, you've got James Dean, Ali G, Nikki Gonzalez, you know, there's so many people, Ryland Pyshak at Cleveland Automation, like so many of these people that are so willing to be like, Hey, here's how you should do this. Or like, Hey, don't do this. Or like, you know, just feeding me work in the beginning and, I think the biggest thing is just like, it's really cool seeing kind of my brand recognition and being able to like be the front of my company and people want to work with me. Um, that that has been really, really rewarding. And, and I get to pick and choose my projects, right? Like, so if I don't want to do something, mm-hmm. I pass it on to someone else in my network who does like to do that. So if there's an application, yeah. you know, maybe I don't want to do it, but I'll say, hey, I know a guy who would love to do this for you. Here's his information mm-hmm. or here's her mm-hmm. information. So that's been really nice. The, the community, because, you know, engineers, I feel like are, you could get really tied up in your work. And like when I was just doing nothing but engineering work, like I wasn't nearly as social as I am now. I'm, I'm a very mm-hmm. social person, but it's it's nice to have a big mix of all of it and a lot of support. Yeah. Yeah. The community is great. No doubt. You mentioned some big names in our industry right there. And there's just so much work going on in our space right now. Collaboration oh, yeah. is the only answer, right? There, yeah. you know, we can't take on all the jobs that are out there at the moment. No, no, you really can't. If you don't have people you're collaborating with, I don't know how you're staying alive because there's too much, right? Like it's like, there's, there's so many opportunities and there is a lot of people doing it, but it's like, like you said, if people want to work with you, they're going to work with you. And that's, that's the part that I really like is like, Hey, I want to do a collaborative project over here or, Hey, I want to do something with this technology. Like I'm not at the mercy of multi-billion dollar project management. I'm at the mercy of, Hey, that's cool. I want to do that. I hear you. You know, and you kind of segued into my next question a little bit. You gave a shout out to the community. I'm curious what, experience or maybe a piece of advice from someone has been most helpful to you in the start of your entrepreneurial journey? Oh, dude, I have, uh, I, I have, I have, yeah, like the, the one piece of advice that sticks with me was, was from James Dean, man. I, uh, I was frustrated at my, my factory job and I was, you know, I was really leaning on going out full time on my own, but I was nervous, right? Like, you know, there's so many unknowns, and I send him a message on LinkedIn and I'm like, Hey man, you know, I've been following you for a while. Like I'm thinking of doing this. Um, I already have everything kind of in place. I just, you know, it doesn't, when is it going to feel right? And he told me, he said, it will never feel right. If you have your ducks in a row, like, you know, money saved up and, and kind of a plan to kind of do it. He said, there'll never be a right time. And if you think there is a right time, you'll never do it. So he <laughs> yeah. literally told me, uh, to just do it. And he said, hell man, if, if, if you have trouble finding work, give me a call, I'll put you to work. May not be glamorous, but at least you'll be working for yourself. And I was like, I quit my job a week later. Wow. Wow. Love that. Love that. I'm surprised you didn't get that part of the origin story at the start, but I'm glad I asked. Yeah, no, I'm glad. (laughs) I honestly, as soon as you said the piece of advice, it was like everyone, I do the same thing. James Dean, his, his philosophy and Ali, Ali G will tell you this too. And so will Caleb Travis. We all reached out to him 
to, to talk about the same thing. And he'll tell you the same thing. You know, there's enough work out there for everybody. And uh, if you just try hard and put out good work, like the work will come to you. And so I, f- I forgot about those messages. I still talk to him every once a week at least. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for everyone listening out there, I will put links in the show notes to connect with these folks on LinkedIn. I feel like the shout outs you've given warrant that at this point, Brennan. Yeah. So Yeah. Sorry for, sorry for giving you extra work, but I had, oh, to, no, no, I had no. to shout them out. That's uh, that's what this show is all about. So um, as we get to the end of the conversation, I, I, I haven't asked this question a lot lately, but I felt like you would probably have a good answer for it. You know, what are there any podcasts or books that you listen to that are helpful resources in your career, in the industry, whatever it is? I, I wanted to, to, to get maybe some of that info from you as well. You know, there's nothing specific. I typically look for a podcast based on like, maybe something I'm having trouble with or something I'm looking to get better at, or I try to find things that are relevant to like what I'm looking for at the time. Right. Like I've mm-hmm. been getting really heavy into golf. Right. So All right. I'm listening to golf podcasts recently or like uh, one podcast I really do like for running a business is, uh, is, is the, the MF CEO podcast, Anthony Frazella. He, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. he's a CEO of first form nutrition and he's like, yep. He's a no BS guy. And so like, I love that he just tells it how it is. And so I listen, I listen to him a lot, but yeah, it's, it's kind of dependent on what I'm looking for. I like to, I take in so much data every day, programming and learning new softwares that sometimes I just like to listen to music and not have to think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm familiar with that show. He's actually a St. Louis guy, which is where he is from. So I, uh, I I saw him speak at a conference a while ago. You're right. No BS is almost a polite way of putting it as well. He's, uh, uh, he's probably not everyone's cup of tea, but if you like someone that's blunt, straightforward, maybe to a fault, definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good one. So we're, we're here at the end of our conversation. We're here. I'm, I mean, I'm getting towards the end of my beer as well. So I really just have one last question for you. And that's, we covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you wish uh, we would have covered? No, not really. I think the biggest thing is like, you know, if you're thinking of going out on your own or working from somebody, I mean, you know, you quit your job and went out on, on a limb to do this. It's like, just do it, you know, reach out to people, make the right, make, make the right changes in your life so that you can afford to do it or, or cut things out to make yourself able to, because I feel like it's riskier to not take risk than it is to stay in your little safe bubble. I hear you. And where's the best spot to connect with you and Blue Collar Automation? Uh, yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, the best place is uh, is either LinkedIn or my website at bluecollarautomation.com. Um, it's got links to all my emails, but uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So it's got my email on there. So that'd probably be the best way to get a hold of me. And I'll link up to all of that in the show notes as well for all our listeners to track you down. Hopefully grab a beer with you at Wiseacre yeah. sometime after uh, after this episode airs. And I just got to say, Brennan, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. And you know what? You know, thanks to everyone in the automation community that helped make this episode so great. If you want to connect with any of those all-stars in the manufacturing industry that Brennan gave a shout-out to, Ali G, James Dean, Nikki Gonzalez, among others, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 101, where, of course, you can find links to all the other resources mentioned, including Memphis's Wise Acre Brewing. 
If you liked what you heard, if you want to connect with other individuals similar to Brennan, well, hey, I'd love to have you in the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community. That group lives on LinkedIn. You can get to our private group on LinkedIn by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com community. If you request to join, make sure to connect with me as well. Tell me that you heard about it on the podcast so I know where you're coming in from, and we'd love to have you in that group. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com community. And with that, that's a wrap on this week. Thanks so much for sticking around. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.